And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. Today's show will be about talking with adopted kids about birth parents. This was such an informative show. Here's a sample of what you'll hear. Also okay to acknowledge your own sadness that you might not know more because you wish you would have known more. Because with a lot hmm. of goals, your child's going to go through a time where they're sad too about that. And they wish they knew more. And I think that the knee-jerk reaction for a parent might be to kind of say, but but I'm the only mom you need, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm more than mm-hmm. you need. Or, you know, mm-hmm. and that, I'm not even coming from a, period of, a sense of insecurity there. You just want to take away your child's pain. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's important to um, sit with them with it and say, you know, that makes me sad too. Because it's saying you're doing a couple things. You're validating their feelings instead of minimizing it because it's not going to feel minimal to them. And again, you're sending a message that it's okay to talk about and that you're allowed to have a range of feelings about this, and that's okay. I'm Dawn Davenport, the Director of Creating a Family. We are the National Adoption and Infertility Education and Support Organization. You can find us online at creatingafamily.org. We are a weekly radio show podcast. To make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, you can subscribe to our show at either iTunes or on the radio page of our website, creatingafamily.org slash radio show. We are so proud to say that our underwriter for this show is Faring Pharmaceutical. They have been our underwriter almost from the beginning, and we are so thankful for them. For many patients, costs can be a barrier to pursuing fertility treatment. That's why Fairings offers a savings card for their endometrium vaginal inserts. This instant savings card offers up to $100 savings each month on your endometrium prescription for eligible patients. You can ask your doctor for more details. We primarily keep in touch with our audience through our twice-weekly e-newsletter. We let you know about the latest developments in infertility and adoption, as well as the new resources we add to our site each week. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on any page, top right side, creatingafamily.org. This show, as well as all the many resources we provide at Creating a Family, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, who believe in our mission of providing unbiased education and support to pre- and post-adoptive families. We have independent adoption centers whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. They work with families in all 50 states and are fully licensed in California, New York, Florida, Texas, and more. We also have Hopscotch Adoptions. They are a national adoption agency with offices in North Carolina and New York, placing children from Bulgaria, Georgia, Ghana, Armenia, Morocco, Serbia, and Ukraine. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have been providing adoption services for more than 50 years with offices in California, Colorado, South Carolina, and Kentucky. Nightlight provides international, domestic, foster, and embryo donation and adoption services. And we are very thankful to have them. We also have other great sponsors whose generosity allows us to bring you this show and, again, everything else that we do here at Creating a Family. When We ask that when choosing an adoption service provider, please consider using one from the Creating a Family directories, which you can find on the service provider page of our site. You can search by location, services provided, uh, countries, types of adoption, things like that, just a whole fa- host of factors we think are important when choosing. By using these directories, you support those who support us, and we thank you. Today's show will be on talking with adopted kids about birth parents. Our guest today is Danielle Goodman. She is the lead social worker in the Delaware Office of Adoptions from the Heart. They are a nonprofit domestic infant adoption agency. Welcome, Danielle, to Creating a Family. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I think we should start it's uh, by noting that many 
uh, in fact, most uh, domestic adoptions have some degree of openness where children uh, and or at least if not children and their parents, uh, adoptive parents, have contact with or information about uh, birth parents, birth mothers and birth fathers. While most international adoptions and foster care adoptions are closed, not all, uh, and, and that in some ways is a trend that may be slowly uh, shifting, but it is at least now I think it would be fair to say that most international and foster care adoptions are closed. How does openness or, or lack thereof or lack of openness affect how you talk about birth parents? Um. I mean, primarily we, we are an open adoption agency at Adoptions from the Heart. Um, we actually were the very first um, agency in 1985 on the East Coast doing open adoptions. Um, and, you know, all of the social workers um, who work for Adoptions from the Heart are very firm believers that openness is a positive thing. Um, so when we are working with our um, expected parents, birth parents, um, we always inform them, you know, they obviously have the choice on whether or not they want an open or a closed adoption, um, but we always tell them about, you know, the benefits, and that's so that um, the adoptee doesn't have any questions, or, or if they do have questions, they can get those questions answered in the future directly, you know, from their birth mother or birth father. So we talk about how positive it is um, to keep the lines of communication open, um, with respect to medical information, I actually just got a call yesterday from a birth mother that I worked with that at this point doesn't really want any openness, but did call um, with respect to some medical information that had changed with um, one of her other children, um, which was very nice to see, so that even though she doesn't want the direct correspondence, she's still keeping them informed of medical things that are going on with the with her other children, which is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So, so one difference would be that you actually you have information about the um, about the birth mom and the birth dad when you have an open adoption. In fact, uh, many times the adoptive parents have met the person. There may be pictures, there may not be. So you have specific information to share. How does that change when your child, uh, when if let's say your child was internationally adopted, and you don't know anything. I mean, it's possible to know almost nothing if the child had actually been abandoned. Um, or you're questioning the accuracy of the information you were given because it, for whatever reason. How much should you speculate uh, as to uh, about the reasons for abandonment or, um, or the reasons for relinquishment or for whatever? Uh, how much speculation should you do, even if you feel like it's kind of an educated guess? Um. <clears throat> I think that, you know, um, ultimately most adoptive parents um, would be fairly truthful in telling their child as they grow up that, you know, that this is always a very difficult decision um, for any birth parent to do um, and that they did this um, through love for their child. Because I think that even in, you know, internationally some of the countries where there is limits on how many children they have and they quote-unquote abandon their child, they do it. Um, generally speaking, in an area where that child can be easily found, um, knowing that then the child will um, hopefully have a good life, will be able to be cared for, hopefully adopted by a family that can provide for them. Um, I've never in my almost eight years of working at Adoption from the Heart ever met a birth parent who did not care about their child. Um, so I'm pretty confident in saying that even internationally, um, adoptive parents can speculate about that aspect, that their birth parents did love them and they chose to do this to give them a better life than what they could provide at the time. What about in situations where, uh, and this happens um, sometimes in international adoption, uh, it also happens in foster care, U.S. foster care adoption, where the birth parents have, have done have taken actions that would not necessarily be considered loving, uh, uh, be it uh, abuse or neglect or, uh, or or something, and, and oftentimes this is fueled by um, by, by addiction. But um, yeah, I mean, at that point, at that point, would you uh, would you go ahead and speculate, or, or at that point, do you stick with what you know, or how do you discuss the uh, the difficulties when you don't really when you suspect that the birth parents have taken at least acts that do not would not be perceived as loving acts? 
I mean, I guess I feel like if they know a little bit of the history, especially if the kid was in foster care for a while and they kind of know a little history about why the child was in foster care, um, we are firm believers that the child's story is their story um, and that you should always be open and honest with the child about their history at, of course, age-appropriate levels. So, um, you know, they don't have to say that their birth mom has some serious drug addictions if the child is five. Um, but maybe just say something to the effect of that, you know, they know that their birth parent wasn't in the, um, was having some difficulties with life at that moment, um, wasn't in a good place, wasn't stable um, in order to care for that child. Um, you know, but you never want to fully lie to your child. You want to, you know, you want to be open and honest because their history is their history and you can't, you can't change that. Let me stop a moment and introduce our second guest. It is Dr. Jennifer Bliss. She is the National Associate Counseling Director at the Independent Adoption Center. They are a nonprofit domestic adoption agency. Welcome, Jennifer, to Creating a Family. Hi. We are Hi. talking about uh, the differences between um, how much, if, if you do not, in open adoption, which I know Independent Adoption Center is uh, also a proponent of, uh, you actually, uh, uh, adoptive parents actually have information about the uh, birth parents, may have pictures, might have met, whatever. But in international adoption and in foster care adoption, uh, Danielle and I are discussing how much information to share when you really don't have a lot of information. Um, it, what is your thought on how to talk about birth parents in a, in a foster care adoption situation when you have, when their actions uh, led to the removal of the child, uh, be it through right. abuse or neglect. Uh, how do you talk about birth parents then? Because as Danielle was saying, we still want our children come from mm-hmm. these people. We want them to have a positive sense about where they come from. So and what do you think are. about that? Yeah. Well, I think that I also agree that you can't lie, and I don't believe in making up stories. I think that as a child gets older, something to really, as you do more and more talk about the details, remember to separate the actions from the person in the sense that you can talk about and even be critical of some of the choices the birth parent made and use that learning experience, but it's important to talk about how that might have been a poor choice and not that this is a bad person. I think that as much as you can gather about the birth parent and his or her history is also going to be important because you can also use that as far as Talk about it. Talk about things that they might have learned growing up, or their family environment, and how they might not have had support and the type of environment to teach them how to make decisions, or what might be a good decision or not a good decision, and how your child is raised in a different environment that will be able to teach them those things. So I really want to drive home the point that it's important for a child not to think that they came from quote a bad person. Um, they're going to wonder what they could have inherited bad too. And how do you the, the stories that that we tell our children? Um, we always would like for them to be, you know, the you know the, the rainbows and unicorn stories. But often in right. adoption, adoption involves loss, and and there are parts of adoption that aren't rainbows, rainbows and, and unicorns. Right. So uh, we often tell people to adoptive parents to lay the groundwork early for inclusion, adding uh, the framework that you can add more detail on um, mm-hmm. about the child's story. Um, can you give us, and, uh, Jennifer, I'll, I'll ask this question to you. Can you give us an example of, uh, take, let's say, um, abuse. Let's say the child had been okay. abused. Uh, how you might lay the groundwork for that when the child is young so that it, it's, as you and Danielle have both said, it's a child's story, so ultimately... I would assume you would tell us that that the child needs to be told that information. Absolutely, and I think each individual story is different. It's so, so unusual to find the four stories where a parent just didn't love a child. And it's more about they used the tools they had at the time and they were struggling if addiction was involved. As they get older, you can talk about how that affects someone's judgment and ability to function emotionally and just even, you know, given the reactions in a day-to-day situation, I just think it's important as much as they will know the facts to also remind them that it wasn't a reflection of lack of love, that 
their parent was struggling. And again, that's another thing we can pull into what may they, they may have experienced growing up mm-hmm. as far as their environment and how they translated into they didn't know how and they didn't have a model. Um, so and usually there's not one factor that leads to a child being abused. It's usually a multitude of factors that surround the child and their environment who their parents are. Um, and I think it's important to talk about everything as a whole instead of, again, blaming the, their biological child, parent as the worst person in the world that, God forbid, that they believe they, didn't, they weren't loved. I think that's the biggest thing to consider is making sure the child knew that no matter how they were treated, it was about the limitations of the parent, not the fact they weren't loved. Good point. We got a question from Rosie. Uh, and it's a. You've answered the first part of her question. Both of you have, uh, Danielle. However, the second part of her question, she says, "Do we, as adoptive parents, have to pretend to respect these people who do such harm?" She is speaking of uh, an abusive uh, birth parent. Uh, so she wants to know if she's got to pretend to respect the the birth parents, Danielle. Um, I just think that they don't necessarily have to pretend to respect them, but they do have to not be so negative. You know, like Jennifer was saying, like we know that um, if there was some neglect or abuse or some history of addiction there, it's not necessarily that that makes that bad person. And sometimes as adoptive parents, there's some judgments on um, where these birth families are coming from, and it's not necessarily something that they may have had, you know, quote-unquote control over. I mean, addiction is a pretty serious issue. Um, So I don't know if the right word is having respect, but um, respect your child enough to not um, speak badly um, about their birth parents and just try to give them, you know, the truth at age-appropriate levels, I think, is important. You know, I'm um, in a very long-term project here at Creating a Family, and I do mean it as long-term. <laughs> we are uh, interviewing uh, uh, adult adoptees, and we've got a host of questions we're asking them. And not universally, but almost universally, and, and, and kind of the the gist of some of the questions is, what did your uh, adoptive parents do right, and what do you wish they had done different? Um, and of the uh, one of the things that, that I've noticed that comes up with remarkable frequency is the if it's done right they will say i am so thankful that my parents never talked bad about my birth mm-hmm. parents or the reverse is is uh, i wished that you know i know that my birth parents weren't the greatest but i wished that my parents had not talked so negatively about them so i right. i it's amazing to me how often that will, and that's not, you know, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just asking the question, and so this is being that that how many um, have referred to that. Um, we have a question from Renee. Renee, she said, "What term should we use when discussing birth parents? Is the term birth mom confusing by introducing at a young age the concept of two mothers? I anticipate changing to the term birth mom when he is six to seven. And we've got another question from someone else asking about the term uh, tummy mummy um, and and uh, your opinions on that. So I'd like to hear both of your thoughts on that. But, Jennifer, uh, let's start with you. Uh, what term uh, do you recommend? And, and I think this person is getting at that perhaps uh, you might use different terms at different ages. Right. And I also think that it has a lot to do as far as the child's confusion level because that seems to what this caller is concerned about. That mm-hmm. has a lot to do with um, also the level of exposure that child has to his or her birth parents. Because Right. If the birth parents are in their life to some extent, um, the idea of that person being their mother is going to seem silly because that would be like saying, you know, is Cousin Julie your mommy? That's going to be mm-hmm. weird to them because, like, no, that's that's Jessica, my birth mom. Like, obvious. If, the birth, if there's no access to the birth mom, then there is a higher chance for confusion of, is she, quote, my real mommy or am I meant to be with her? So I think that um, it is really important to explain in a child's language and for their development what does, quote, a birth mom mean? And it really means you grew in her belly and she chose, you know, us as your parents. Or she looked and searched and searched while you were growing in her belly because she knew she was growing this baby for someone special. And when she found us, she knew she found the family you were meant to be in. So I think it's all in context. And it's also mm-hmm. about becoming comfortable with the term because if your child feels that you're uncomfortable when you talk about it, 
or such as anxiety or hesitancy with you, they're going to read into that and wonder what's wrong with it or is there something they're not being told. So practice. Practice the way you tell it, your your tone, um, the way you come across, and remember to um, really convey a sense of pride when you're talking about who grew them and how they were chosen and the day you became a family. Okay, Danielle, what is your thoughts on um, the what terms to use and, and what do you think of the term tummy mummy? Um, I actually think, I, I think tummy mummy is kind of cute um, when they're little because um, it does associate with I grow in this person's belly. Um, but we are firm believers that, uh, and we counsel both adoptive parents and birth parents on, you know, when you make this plan to place your child with this other family, that you are allowing them to become the mommy and the daddy. And now this means that you have a very special term, which is called birth mom or birth dad. And normally it's birth mom Jessica and birth father Ron, you know. Um, and so, and I think that the earlier you introduce, like Jennifer was saying, that, you know, as long as you are very clear, um, you know, then the child's going to understand, you know, what birth mom means and it's not going to be confusing to him or her. Um, I also think that some of that needs to be respected of what the birth parents' wishes are to be called. Um, I have some had some birth parents who actually did not like the term birth mom. They would rather be just called um, Miss, Miss Jessica um, just by their first name. In, in conversations about her, she was okay being termed birth mom, um, but in her mm-hmm. perspective, perspective um, she just, you know, that was almost like somebody um, – like it was just it was a title that she didn't like. So, you know, I think sometimes you're gonna need to respect your birth parents' specific wishes about maybe what they want to be called, but I but we do generally recommend that people, um, adoptive parents use the term birth mom or birth father or birth dad. We actually did a survey of our audience, our community, um, about what they uh it's been uh, it's probably been a year, year and a half. Uh, so you can go on to, uh, we published it as a blog. Uh, I believe first name was the most common in an open adoption situation. Um, okay. And uh, calling them by their first name or calling them um, by their, calling them, especially as they refer to them as birth mom or birth mother or birth father. So those were okay. the, but it was interesting. There was a lot of variety, actually. Yeah, so it was interesting to me. We got a quite a few, uh, well, three, <laughs> that's quite a few, <laughs> emails uh, or Facebook messages asking about how to talk about birth fathers. I'm not going to read them because uh, I'm going to try to just put the idea all together uh, because the, the, the different ones focus on different things. The, the gist is that when we talk about birth mothers, we have a role to assign the birth mom. We can say, as Jennifer, I love the language, by the way, that Jennifer just used about growing in the tummy and or growing in their uterus or whatever, uh, and uh, making it. Her her role was to uh, uh, find a family because she knew she wasn't ready, but and and that would be the discussion. But there's a role to assign to the birth mother. She was the one in whose body you were growing. But what we all know the role of the birth father, but the birth father's role involves, involves biology, but more importantly, it involves sex, which, you know, if we think that talking about adoption is uncomfortable with, for, uh, for many adoptive parents, you know, talking about sex just ratchets it up quite a higher level. So then you've got the perfect storm of talking about birth dads because you've got sex and birth parents involved. So the, the question is, how or I think the 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 question that that most of the the emails we got were getting at is how do you introduce the concept and how do you explain this person's role and, and they I don't think any of them really mentioned age but obviously when you've started talking to your children about biology and intercourse and sex and and uh, that type of when you've moved into the birds and the bees then you actually have a context but prior to a certain age that you don't have that context. So that's the question I'm getting at. Uh, and don't you worry, I'm going to have both of you <laughs> feel uncomfortable and have to figure out how to answer that. So, Danielle, I'm going to start with you, though. And then, okay. uh, Jennifer, you've got a second to think. <laughs> Go ahead, Danielle. Um, so, 
historically, you know, I think in the adoption world, most of the time <clears throat> people uh, assimilate, you know, placement just as the birth mother. But what we have found, and over the last probably handful of years, what we have found is actually there are more birth couples coming together to make this plan together. I think that your questions may stem from families that have an adoption story for their child that maybe they don't know a birth father. Um, maybe he wasn't part of the process, but they obviously know that there is a birth father associated. Um, I think it's a little easier when they come to collectively together and the openness is associated with both the birth mother and the birth father because then it's just a smoothless process of explaining that these are your birth parents. They came together to make this decision because they were unable to parent you. Um, but when it's maybe an unknown birth father or, um, you know, maybe a domestic violence situation or <clears throat> something like that, I, what I have found is a lot of times you're right, the age get of um, children not really understanding the concept, they get that they grow in somebody's tummy so they understand the birth mother side of things. But sometimes mm -hmm. kids don't necessarily ask about, oh, who's my birth father until they're quite a bit older, maybe six, mm -hmm. seven, eight, nine. Um so, you know, it, it is a little tricky with that conversation um, with respect to, you know, having the conversation about the birds and the bees with your child. Um, but, again, I just I'm a firm believer that honesty is the best policy and that you should be open and honest with your child at age-appropriate levels. So we had a family, the child's probably 20 to 22 now, um, and he actually um, was conceived from a rape situation and his family never denied him his history. Um, but they just, you know, gave it to him at age-appropriate levels. And he was probably around 11 or 12 when he asked about his birth father. And they were still very honest um, with him about the circumstances of pregnancy. And I think that that's so important. So even if it's not such a nice history, it's still very important to be open and honest. Okay. Jennifer. Okay, I mean, I have my own answers. Plus, I think there's so many good things that was just said right now that I'd like to build on, and that's okay. one of the um, <laughs> um, one of the things you just said that really struck me as something that people shy away from or fear is, God forbid, you do have a situation where the child was conceived through um, a non-conceptual experience. Um, there is a desire to hold out and not want to tell them the truth, and uh, and because you want to protect your child, that's a very natural response as a parent. In this situation she was just talking about, I think it's a blessing the child did ask before teenage years. I think the misconception of waiting till the child's a teenager um, to tell them uh, you know, the difficult details is actually counterintuitive because if you think about developmental stages, they're forming their identity during those teenage years. And it's actually harder during those teenage years to understand and really try and um, take in that information because it tends to then become, well, how does that work into who I am and the fabric of who I am as I create my identity? And it's easier for actually a younger child to digest before hitting the teen years those more difficult circumstances. So beyond the question you just asked, I just wanted to reaffirm this, that story and, and misconceptions and fears based on that. Back to um, the whole birth father issue. Um, I think parents in general sometimes don't know how to broach or talk about sex if um, kids, the kids are asking about it and learning about it and being exposed to things of sexual nature at an earlier age um, today than even just 10 years ago. Um, when this situation does arise where a child is asking about their birth father, if the birth father is not in the picture, usually that question comes in after um, the birds and the bees talk because then there's that realize that that's when they realize there's that hole of oh wait but if it takes a a man where's where's that in my picture right um, if the birth father is involved then you probably have a better chance of them questioning more well you know the baby grew in Sarah's belly what does John have to do with it. So, <laughs> and I think so, that's um, at least what one of the emails right. was getting at. Uh, mm -hmm. What does John have to do with it? And oh, you right. know, how do you explain that to a child that you don't want to get into the, right. uh, you know, into the birds and the bees? As much as you don't want to get, they they might not want to get into the specific details of sex. I think that it's there's just no way around talking about the basics. 
there without lying to your child. And with, and mm-hmm. um, and I just, as much as it's uncomfortable, I think it's it's something to start thinking about. And if a child asks a question, whether it be about this or something else in the adoption arena that you're just not totally sure of how to answer, I also want to reinforce that it's okay to say, you know, Max, it's a really good question. I want to think about my answer before we talk about it because I want to make sure I give you the best answer possible. Can we talk about it tonight when you get home? And yeah, call your adoption agency, call someone, <laughs> like use your resources in those three hours to figure out what your comfort zone is. Okay to say, no, kids don't have the best time. You're probably at the checkout stand at Ralph's when he asked this. So it's okay to say that's a really good question. Can we sit down tonight and talk about it? Um, do do it because then you're sending a message. It's not okay to ask questions if you avoid that second conversation. But use that time in between to kind of figure out what your comfort zone is as far as addressing the issue. I think that is great advice. I think that for a lot of difficult conversations, you know, if you're not comfortable, you can't quite figure it out, your kids mm-hmm. have been in that position of not knowing how to answer something, and it's actually modeling some good behavior, which is that you can buy yourself some time to think things through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. and it's a, uh, a great idea. Um, before we get off of the topic of rape, uh, Jennifer, since you had just brought it up, could you, going back to the idea that that it's our children's story and uh, we need to, our children, it, it belongs to them. They they own this information. They have the right to own this information. Therefore, and we need to get it to them before they are uh, reaching adolescence. And I, you know, and, and adolescence is beginning at age 12 very, very often. So I think, you know, people are, children now are, uh, so it needs to be before age 12, I would assume you would say. How can you lay the groundwork for a discussion of of, of rape and also abuse and just some other difficult things? Um, uh, uh, it, well, uh, let's just speak exclusively of rape, though, because I, I want you to give an example because you've done a good job of giving us words. Uh, so how can you lay the groundwork with, say, a, a four- and five-year-old so that later on, um, in a few years, you can start adding some more detail. Right. Okay, so I'm just going to give one scenario that um, I've ran by other people, and they seem to think that's good too, but there's no one right answer here. Valid um, point. Okay, so and again, I'll readdress that as much as you can. Try and take the action away from the person as a whole, because again, we don't want them to think that they've, they're bad people because they came from bad people. But I think that you can talk about um, in the sense that it's really important to ask people first before um, playing with them or engaging with them or jumping in. And, you know, it's very important to ask permission and see if somebody's okay with things. And, you know, it, your birth father didn't ask. And that's, that wasn't right of him. And he should have asked. And it, was, it would have been important to your birth mom that he did. And he took that decision away from her. And that wasn't a good thing that he did. And then again, you could talk about, you know, he, you know, and I know that's really bringing it down to basics. But if you're talking to me like a four-year-old access, we definitely want to bring it down to basics. Sure. Yeah. So, okay. And then it, it grows from there. And and if that explanation, they're never going to say you you lied to me. You told me a, a fairy tale. Um, you you're just bringing it down to the basics that a four-year-old can understand without getting into anything inappropriate. And I think that's, and the last thing you just said, I think is is a really good take-home message for adoptive parents who do have difficult parts of their child's story or difficult things with the birth parents. Uh, You don't want your child to feel like you lied to them. That's why it's important to start at a young age, putting in parts when you discuss the story that allow there to be ambiguity, allow there to be the part, the very beginning parts, uh, of what you will later share with them so that it doesn't come as a total surprise to them. All right, we have a question. Uh, we actually have two on what age to start talking about birth parents. And uh, Rosette said that uh, she wanted, she thinks that you should wait until the child asks questions about the birth parent. She uh, is um, uh, apparently is, is comfortable with uh, saying to the child, letting the child, explaining to the child that they are adopted, but she does not think that you should start talking about birth parents until the child asks questions. 
Danielle, what age should you start introducing the concept of birth parents? Assuming, I think we're all in the same boat that uh, that that children should know that they are adopted from the beginning. So we're not really talking about that. We're talking about when to introduce the concept of birth parents. I guess um, from our perspective, we always um, educate all of our families on that they should start kind of figuring out what story their you know how to how to explain this story to their child from the time that their child is an infant so that not just of you know adoption but you know hopefully maybe you, like you said we are in a world of open adoptions at least domestically most of the time most of the time the family probably did have hopefully had some contact or maybe could at least get a picture um, of the child's birth family um, so I think that they're kind of one and the same, that the child, it shouldn't it shouldn't just be when they start asking questions. I feel like it should always be kind of part of their story that they should, you know, never have that aha moment when they remember asking the question at six that they were sitting around the dining room table and that they were told. Um, I feel like they should, it, it's just one and the same, that they should know that they're adopted and, and being adopted means that you did grow in somebody else's tummy and that you have two parents that are, your birth parents, and I think that the talk should always be relative to that. Okay, and so, Jennifer, any thoughts on that as to uh, when to start utilizing, using the terms birth parents, including the discussion, and, and in particular, if you could expand to when people don't, uh, in domestic adoption, it's usually some degree of openness. But how about with international adoption, uh, for instance, where there may well be very little uh, information? Okay. I guess I want to like um, rewind to the very crux of the question about it's okay that my child know the word adoption, but I don't want them to know what it means until they're ready to ask and that they know to ask somehow themselves. Um, I, I think that the first thing to look at here is where that anxiety is coming from. Why is there anxiety there in talking about equal and someone else's tummy who wasn't ready to be a mommy and they, they looked until they found the perfect people. You know, that little story I gave earlier. And why mm-hmm. is that scary to tell your child? Because even though you can talk about the word adoption and say, oh, you're adopted, da, 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 if you're not saying what that means, you're also sending a message that either that, that they're not supposed to ask. Um, you know, it, it's just it's too risky of creating anxiety that is a taboo topic if you're not able to easily talk about what it means to be adopted. And um, and I just wonder if someone has hesitancy about that, if they can think about or talk to their adoption professional about what that what what's the underlying reason for that? Is there either anxiety or um, a, a feeling of feeling threatened or something there mm-hmm. that makes them not comfortable and confident? Because again, I want to stress: figure out the way you're going to talk about the adoption story and start talking about it before they understand it. And I often relate it to. And you don't wait till a child understands what the words I love you mean to say I love you. You say it from day one. And here it's just as important to talk about their adoption story and the way you became a family from day one before they even understand what it means. And it really, again, like we just talked about, there's no aha moment or the moment the day they understood what it meant to be adopted and it burned in their brain. Um, and it sends a message that they can ask questions. It's not taboo, that it's not something bad or shameful and then, they avoid internalizing maybe there's something shameful or bad about being adopted because it's not something we're proud about in our home. Um, as far as international adoption goes, I'm less experienced with that, obviously, because I do domestic open adoption. But I think that the generality that we can apply in every adoption situation is that birth parents love the, char- the child, even if they weren't ready to parent, or circumstances around them allow, you know, it made them unable to parent at the time. Um, but I think it's also okay to acknowledge that you don't know something and talk about the things that you do know. And it's also okay to acknowledge your own sadness that you might not know more because you wish you would know more. Because with a lot mm. of folks, your child's going to go through a time where they're sad too about that. And they wish they knew more. And I think that the knee-jerk reaction for a parent might be to kind of say, but but I'm the only mom you need, but I'm 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 more than mm-hmm. you need, you know, mm-hmm. and that, I'm not even coming from a, period of, a sense of insecurity there. You just want to take away your child's pain. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that it's important to um, sit with them with it and say, you know, that makes me sad too. Because it's doing, you're doing a couple things. You're validating their feelings instead of minimizing it because it's not going to feel minimal to them. And again, you're sending a message that it's okay to talk about and that you're allowed to have a range of feelings about this, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that. You are allowed to have a range of feelings. I think we all do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And, and fight, fight the urge to, to erase pain when it comes up and instead give them a space to talk about it and acknowledge your own so they don't feel alone, so they know it's normal, and so that they know they can talk about it and it's okay. And understand that there will be a time, I don't care how open your adoption is, that you're, most likely your child will have sadness about it. Um, whatever that you, their story might be that they might you know, grab onto with something that's sad, don't take that offensively. Just sit with them on it, talk with them on it. It could be that the birth father is not involved. And you can acknowledge that you're sad about that too, and you wish he was too. That would have been nice. I just want to reassure parents that, that those types of conversations are okay. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today we're talking about talking about birth parents with adopted children. Creating a Family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and they would be an even better place if you would join us. There are three ways to connect with us on Facebook. You can connect to our, or you can like our Facebook page, Creating a Family. I mean, uh, Facebook.com slash Creating a Family. Uh, you can also join our very large, very active, and very fun online support group. It is a closed Facebook group. You can easiest way to find it is just to type in the words "creating a family" in the Facebook search box, and it will pop up. Uh, actually, both the page will pop and the group will pop up. So you can like the page and join the group. Uh, it is a closed group, so you have to request, uh, but we will let you in after you request. Uh, or you can connect with me uh, personally, Dawn Davenport One. Uh, we also love Pinterest around here. We have about 30-some-odd uh, uh, boards on Pinterest uh, around this topic. Uh, and uh, you can we go by Creating a Family on Pinterest, and we go by Creating a Family on Twitter as well. So please do join us. We have a question from Jocelyn. She said, we have a very open adoption with our teen son, biological mother, and maternal relatives. His biological father has chosen to have no contact. How do we handle the questions about why his father chose to discontinue contact? Uh, Jennifer, we'll start with you and then um, uh, rotate to to Danielle if she has anything to add. Um, I almost think I addressed a little bit of this just now, um, but I'll expand more, is that um, you you address it by explaining that you wish you know, he was able to have contact and and just really probably going to rest on the idea that maybe it was just too painful for him and that he it may, just made him sad. And, and you hope one day that is it, that's not the case, that he's able to work through it and, and be able to open up a relationship because it's something you would really like to. Um, and so I think that you're right, that we can we don't have a lot of the answers. And to some extent, we do have to make, um, and I think the safest way to make is, that it, it, it was too pain, it's too painful for him right now, um, mm-hmm. and and that we hope that that changes. Um, but there there is no good answer. I just think again, we want to make sure it's not a the child doesn't internalize it as lack of caring. Okay, so that's the bottom line. What we want to do the message is we don't want uh, to the extent that unless we have some specific evidence that that he doesn't right. care, but chances are very good right. that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Danielle, any thoughts on that? Um, that's pretty much what the information that I normally give to adoptive families when they call us in similar circumstances is that, you know, again, just be, you know, as honest as you can with your child and, you know, sit down with them and, and explain that, you know, um, this is an emotional process for every birth parent. And sometimes, depending on where their life is at right now, they may or may not be able to handle um, that communication, that contact, that openness, um, and then that's okay that they have those feelings associated with that, but that maybe sometime in the future that they will be um, more comfortable or more, you know, set in having some kind of relationship, and that's that's what we can hope for, but that, you know, um, they understand that it does make them upset, and it makes you as a parent upset too, and sad for your child to not have that relationship, but at this point, um, 
you know, maybe your birth father is, is too sad or is too upset um, and really just is, is unable at this moment to, to really open, open the doors and the lines of communication. Okay. Uh, we have a question from Rachel. How should an, an adoptive parent navigate varying levels of openness among siblings, all of whom or some of whom were adopted? This is actually a, a, a question we get fairly often uh, on our support group, where you may have an, a very open adoption with one of your uh, children's birth mother or birth father or extended family, um, and yet another one of your children uh, who is also adopted, you have a closed relationship or very little information. Um, any thoughts, Danielle, on how to navigate what is really kind of a, um, a sticky wicket from a parenting standpoint? <laughs> it is, and I, and I can tell you that um, we sometimes have families come in when they're um, looking to adopt for the second or the third time, um, that that is something that they discuss because they are concerned about the fact that maybe their first child's birth parents don't have any contact and and now they could be opening themselves up to a more open relationship. And um, generally when we're counseling adoptive families is really, again, uh, I can't stress enough to just be honest um, with your child about their history and and maybe if you have the information as to, you know, why their birth parent isn't, you know, wanting any contact now or that it may be just too difficult for them but that, you know, their brother or sister does have an open relationship and, and this is why, but it, it never, it doesn't mean that, you know, your first child's birth parents don't love or care about them. Um, but I think, you know, we have that story happen a lot and I always prepare families that um, when they do come in for, you know, a second or a third adoption that every story is totally different because, you know, in the world, everybody is different in the world. And um, so you're never going to have a exact same situation um, with respect to your second adoption um, as your first adoption was. And, and I try to prove as possible that, you know, the whole scenario is going to look different the second time around. Um, and, you know, you kind of prepare them for that from the beginning. But, again, just to be open and honest with their child, um, you know, and, and tell them we hope that, even though your birth parents don't have any contact right now, that maybe in the future they will. Okay. Uh, Jennifer? Um, I just want to also concur that I think that I'm holding on to the hope that both relationships are going to be the same and you're setting yourself up for a frustrating situation. I think you have to expect that they will qualitatively be different with each child. Um, and, you know, the hope is to, that there is openness with both even if it's um, various intensities or degrees. But if you do find yourself in a situation where one does have an open adoption and the other doesn't, because it does happen, um, I think that it's important to realize that ultimately, yes, your child might um, be upset that they don't have as much openness as um, their brother or sister, but along with that, um, the benefits of having a brother or sister that does have an open relationship is that they at least get a relationship with a birth parent and have have a que- have someone to ask their questions to of what was that like? What did that feel like? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? And that still provides more of a benefit than someone who just doesn't have a relationship with any birth parent. Um, yes, again, like we talked about, you can reaffirm that we hope that you know your birth mom is one day ready to have a relationship with us. Um, and I've never experienced a situation where a birth parent excludes their their biological child's sibling. I have yet to experience, in my 10 years working in adoption, I've yet to experience that. Um, and it just seems to be that, yeah, inherently birth parents embrace the children in the family regardless of their own biological connection to the child they place. You know, I, I've seen that as well. Danielle, have you? I've, I have... I've seen some really touching things that have been done uh, by birth parents to make certain that uh, d- both other adopted kids as well as biological kids uh, in the family are included. Does that reflect what you've seen as well, Danielle? Absolutely. I was I was nodding my head as Jennifer was talking <laughs> because I feel I feel like they birth parents do they embrace they embrace the other children in the house, um, and it is a wonderful thing, and it. It doesn't necessarily always make up 100% for maybe that child not having any contact, but it does. It does allow for 
going, okay, like the idea of a birth parent isn't so scary because I've met my brother's birth mom, and she's wonderful, and we have two visits a year with her, and you know, and I can ask her questions, and so, um, but I have never seen, you know, a birth parent who has contact, who, who chooses not to have contact with that other child or other children in the family. They normally do very much embrace um, every child in that family. You are listening to Creating a Family. Today's show is on talking with children about birth parents. Creating a Family's mission is to provide unbiased, accurate information and to support those who are touched by adoption, both pre- and post-adoption, as well as infertility. We have, in fact, we will have an entire section on our new website, which will, I certainly hope, be launched within the next couple of weeks, uh, on talking with children about adoption. We will have many, many resources there, and we would encourage you to go to our website, creatingafamily.org, go to the, uh, click on the word adoption, it will take you to the landing page, and then go to the A to Z resources. And uh, go in, and it will be listed there, and you can get lots and lots of support and, and resources. We have a question from someone who asked that we not use her name. Uh, the her child's uh, birth parent, birth mother, uh, regrets now regrets having placed the child. Uh, she is thinking that uh, and and has been vocal about the fact that she regrets having made the decision. Um, the adoptive mom is thinking about limiting contact. The child is eight and is a boy, and she wants to get uh, our uh, thoughts on on how to handle uh, this situation where a birth mom uh, regrets and in, in, in having made the decision to adopt. Uh, Jennifer. Oops, I think we may have lost Jennifer somehow. Danielle, are you with us? Can you talk? I'm I'm still here, yeah. Um, wow, that that is definitely um, a difficult scenario. I would say that, um, you know, one of the first things maybe if if the contact has been one on one with the family and the birth mother um, of recent years since the, her son is eight at this point, um, maybe the agency hasn't whoever she worked with um, hasn't necessarily maybe been in contact. But I think that maybe that might be the first step is to reach out to the agency because maybe um, maybe what that birth mom needs is some additional resources, maybe some counseling associated with her feelings at this point. Um, I, I can understand, you know, having, you know, if, if the contact that they're having is inappropriate um, or is not in the best interest of the child, that's kind of forefront what we all are looking for is what, what is in the best interest. And I, and I fear that maybe that's where that question is stemming from, um, is that it maybe is. Yeah. Her, her being um, regretful of her decision um, is kind of forcing it, you know, on, on her child. Um, but I'd say before you kind of take a step back and limit more um, conversation, maybe reach out and see if we can get this birth mom some resources that maybe she needs. Sorry about that. I was also dropped. <laughs> Yeah, no, Jennifer, I'm sorry about that. I don't know uh, how you got dropped, but thank you for joining us again. Um, I don't know if you heard the question. Uh, This is a question about a – she does not say how open the situation had been in the past. What she says Mm -hmm. is that the birth mother now regrets having made uh, the adoption placement. Her child's son is eight. She is thinking about limiting contact now. Uh, and that's all the information she gave. Uh, so, and then she would like to get our opinion on ha- on talking about birth parents when a birth parent uh, she now knows regrets the decision mm-hmm. she made. Well, I think looping in your adoption professional would probably be the first step, and making sure that everything's handled delicately with this, and that um, your child still gets the as much benefit as possible from a relationship with being healthy. Obviously, we don't want a situation where birth mother is going to say things that are going to undermine the adoption or the placement. That's not healthy for the child. But there's also a chance that the birth mother realizes this and wouldn't want to do anything that would ultimately hurt her child. Because given the circumstance, um, my guess is that she does understand that this is a permanent situation. It's not turning around at all. So given that, um, I'm wondering if counseling could help her frame 
what is healthiest for her child when she does interact with them as she works through her own grief and hopefully is getting the support and counseling. So um, hopefully your adoption professional can reach out to her and that she'd be willing to have a conversation with the with her counselor or a counselor um, if she still does want contact with the family. And then your adoption professional can guide you as far as their belief um, as far as the appropriateness of the birth parent and then um, their ability to interact with and um, talk to the child about things and in a way that would support the child's healthy emotional development and not in any way undercut it. So I think that's a place to start. And then it, the rest is just given your own situation, what would be in the best interest of your child. This underlines yet again um, something that we say a lot here at Creating a Family, and that is when you choose an adoption professional, be it an adoption agency or an adoption attorney, you really are choosing someone who can walk the walk with you in the long term. Because mm-hmm. here's a great example of where you both have suggested the first step is you need to reach back to the adoption professional you used, and hopefully they do have counselors that can help you navigate this and also uh, help your child's birth mother, um, who's obviously struggling as well. Uh, so it just brings home yet again that uh, that, that uh, adoption is for life, and, and oftentimes adoptive families need support, things will come up, and it's helpful to have support along the way from somebody who who kind of knows something. Um, one of the things I, I let you both know that I, I, made sure, I really wanted to talk about, because we get a lot of questions on this topic, which is suggested children's books to introduce the concept of, of, of talking about birth parents. Now, I'm going to separate that into two categories. One, um, books that talk about birth parents. And then they often get lumped together with books on open adoption. But as I've pointed out, some adoptions are not open, and those parents still need to talk about birth parents. So um, what I want to do is get your suggestions for good children's books for uh, both talking with kids about uh, adoption about birth parents, which would be talking about adoption, but also specifically mentioning birth parents, because there are some adoption books out there for kids who never talk about adoption but really never mention birth parents. So, uh, And then the second question will be about open adoption. Uh, Danielle, I'm going to begin with you. Okay. And let's start with I, talking about birth parent books. Okay. I have a list, <laughs> if that's with you. Absolutely for. I great. A, I have a few um, recommendations from our agency. Um the first one is called Megan's Birthday Tree, a story about open adoption. Um, it is by Lori Lears. Um, it's about Megan, who is an adoptee, um, and she and her parents keep in touch with the, their birth mom, Kendra. Um, and every year, Kendra decorates the tree she planted when Megan was born. Um, so that's a cute little story. Um, the second book is called Tell Me Again About the Night I Was Born, and it's actually written by Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, and it's about um, asking her parents to tell her about the night of her birth. A young girl is shown that she um, that there's a cherished tale um, she knows by heart about um, her adoption story. Um, the third book is called Never, Never, Never Will She Stop Loving You? by Jolene Durant, um, and this was just using personal experiences in the adoption circle. Jolene paints a picture of a birth mother's decision to place her child for adoption, and it's written to the child, um, and it's a short and simple story telling him that he is and always will be loved by both of his moms. Um, there is a book called A Place in My Heart by Mary Gross Nickel um, about a little boy named Charlie who was adopted and wonders if he thinks about the same things that many adoptive children think about, um, such as what do my birth parents look like? Do they think about me? Can I give them a place in my heart? Um, And then the last one that um, our agency recommends is a book actually called The Tummy Mummy by Michelle Madrid Branch. Um, And it's just about... um, the true love that inspires adoption is revealed as a birth mom opens her heart while adoptive parents open their arms for a child. 
So okay, those are our recommendations. <laughs> Excellent, Jennifer. Can you uh, do you have any additional ones? It's a great list, Daniel. Thank you. She really covered it, so I actually only have one to add to that, um, okay. and that's called A Family for Baby Bear, and it's a cute story about a polar bear um, on her journey to find the perfect family for her unborn cub, and it talks about her, her icy home is missing trees and fish and caves and everything she wants for her baby bear, and so she looks and talks to families of different shapes and sizes and colors, and then you know, um, it, it follows her journey in choosing the perfect family for her unborn cub. And so I think that that also is in line with the story I told earlier about um, maybe the ways you initially want to introduce an adoption story to a child. Um, I also want to throw in there, if families wind up matching with a birth mother who has another child already, um, and they want to help their the birth mother explain and talk about adoption with the child they're already raising. The good mm-hmm. book to, to get to get birth mothers is called Sam's Sister, mm-hmm. and it tells a, a story from the a child's point of view whose mother is um, pregnant and has chosen adoption. Mm-hmm. So that's a, a nice, nice little tip. Give the um, um, mm-hmm. give the expectant mom. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me remind our audience that creating a family has an extensive uh, suggested book, uh, books about adoption for kids as well as parents, uh, section. Um, We are, all of us, fanatics about children's literature. So we have certainly, uh, we have uh, all of the books that were mentioned, I think. Uh, The only one I'm not 100% sure of, and I'm going to check it as soon as I hang up, is A Family for Baby Bear. I will will check that one. And if we Mm -hmm. don't have it, we will be adding it. And we actually have a section on our page that is talking with kids about birth parents. So we will uh, we will be adding, and you can go there and, and get that. I would like to take a moment to thank a few more of our gold sponsors and to remind you that it is through their generous support that we can bring you this show as well as all the resources at Creating a Family. We have Spence Chapin. They are an accredited nonprofit agency that has been offering quality adoption services for more than 100 years. Their mission is to find adoptive homes for children in need here and in countries around the world. We also have Bethany Christian Services. They provide post-adoption support to adoptees, adoptive parents, and parents through branch offices and through their National Post-Adoption Contact Center. It's staffed by licensed adoption competent professionals and is available from 8 in the morning till 8 at night Eastern Time, and you can get to it by bcspostadopt at bethany.org. And we also have Adoptions from the Heart. They provide U.S. infant adoptions, home study services for all types of adoptions, as well as services to pregnant women. With almost 30 years of experience, Adoptions from the Heart have become one of the largest placing domestic agencies on the East Coast with offices in Connecticut, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. They can also offer services to anyone throughout the United States. If you have enjoyed this show, do us a favor and please rate this podcast on iTunes. If you have iTunes on your computer or phone, you just type in the words creating a family and you can rate us from there. Or uh, you can go to our uh, radio page and click on the iTunes button and it will take you there. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Bliss and Danielle Goodman, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. If you want to participate in a discussion, um, uh, any of the discussion of some of the topics we talked about, I will be blogging uh, on this topic tomorrow, and so please do join us. Uh, if you want more information about uh, – Jennifer, can you tell us if they want more information about Independent Adoption Center, can you give us the email address? They can contact you there as well, I'm sure. Right. Well, let's start with the website. It's probably the best place to I meant, jump onto. I, meant, and I, I apologize. <laughs> I meant <That's> okay. website. <laughs> I tell you, this, this working on this website, speaking of which, is fried, has fried my brain. So, yes, I actually meant your website. Please. Go ahead and log on to adoptionhelp.org and start there and go from there. It will navigate. There's lots of information, ways to contact us, um, and so it's a good place to start. Adoptionhelp.org. Danielle, yes. can you give us the uh, website, let me be clear, for adoptions from the heart? <laughs> Um, our our website is www.adoptionsfromtheheart.org. And that is with an S, adoptions. Adoptions. 
Yeah, yeah I, I say that because somebody had contacted us once and they said they weren't able to, to they were just leaving off the S. Thank you okay. so much for joining us today, and I will be back next week and look forward to... Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.